So John's Gospel, where we read our uh, scripture reading, John 19, and we read again the verse 19 through to 22, which is our text. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Pilate's inscription, or Pilate's title, is what I want to consider with you tonight. Now, this is a quite remarkable inscription. The inscription as an inscription itself is not remarkable because at crucifixion, it was not unusual for the Romans to identify the person being executed and his crime. So that in itself is not remarkable. Sometimes that was done verbally by proclamation. It would have been read out, this is so-and-so, he's being executed for so-and-so. Other times, as here, the inscription may have been written and placed upon the person by hanging it over his head or being nailed to the cross. So the fact that there is some kind of proclamation is not in itself remarkable. But this inscription is. And this inscription is remarkable for several reasons. First of all, for the fact that the governor himself took a personal hand in it. Because it says there, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Now, we do not suppose that he himself did it physically and personally in the sense that he went to the cross and he nailed it to the tree. But we're not supposing that he may have done that. He may have written it himself and he may have posted it on the cross himself. But that is unlikely and that's not really what the text is teaching. But what the text is saying is he gave the commandment, he took responsibility for it, he's seen that it was carried out. And because he saw that it was carried out and because it was his special personal command, uh, John is careful to tell us, he wrote it and he had it fixed on the cross. Now that's remarkable that he personally felt involved in that. We think that it would not have been unusual for a subordinate to do it. The centurion himself could have been authorized just to throw something together. Um, Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew they mocked him for being the king of the Jews. So uh, somebody in authority could have put something together quite easily. But Pilate saw that he himself was closely and personally involved. A governor 
a chief governor in a province, and he is doing this at the execution of criminals. So he takes a personal involvement, and I think that's remarkable. And John wants to point that out. It doesn't just say there was a title written over his head. It says Pilate did it. And then the second remarkable thing that we referred to this morning is that it's written in three languages. It's written in Hebrew. John is going through the order that he, probably this is the order that it was written in Hebrew, and then in Latin, and then in Greek, or Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And so it's quite remarkable that Pilate feels compelled to make this in the languages of the the main languages of the known world at that time. The languages in which everything will spread out out of Judah, Hebrew first of all, and then all directions in the Greek and Latin as far as the Roman Empire goes. That is remarkable. And John wants us to know that. And then the third remarkable thing is that many of the Jews read it. This title then read many, not a few, but many of the Jews. It's outside the city. And many Jews are there. Jerusalem is most populated at Passover time because they come from all over the world. The population has tripled, perhaps even more than that. So it's very, very busy. A lot of people are reading this. This this is remarkable. You know, you get a few criminals executed. There'll be a few present at it. Maybe a couple of dozen might pass. You might even get a couple of hundred possibly. You know, but many of the Jews from all over the world focusing here and reading this inscription. There never was a Roman inscription like it that was read. And what is more, it's been read for 2,000 years. I don't know if we have any other inscriptions of executions that take place by the hands of the Romans. But we have this one. That's remarkable, a remarkable piece of history here. This is something that stands out. We have a Roman inscription at an execution. And so it's, it's read by very many. And for 2,000 years it's been read. It was read here tonight. And we're preaching upon it, this, this inscription. I think that's remarkable. But what is especially remarkable is the wording of it. No crime is alleged. There is only a name... Jesus, a location, Nazareth. And of course, Jesus was quite a common name in those times. And you had to, they didn't have surnames. So he's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nazareth is just a little village of, a, at the most, a couple of dozen houses. There's probably not another Jesus in the place. And he's Jesus, sometimes the son of Joseph called, but most often Jesus of Nazareth. And it's a title of a humble title because Nazareth was a humble, even a despised place. 
and then his name, his location, his origin, and then he is identified as the king of the Jews. So his office is stated, and the people that he's the king of is identified. And it just looks like an identification with no crime whatsoever. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, Pilate knows what he's written. He knows the need for preciseness. He knows the Jews, and yet this is what he writes. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the Jews don't ignore the implication. And even though it's a very busy time, they don't just throw it out of their mind, but they don't let this matter pass. And the busy priests prioritize, and they go to Pilate, and they said, you need to change that. His crime is not identified. He's not the king of the Jews. He said, I am the king of the Jews. That's what you need to put down, Pilate. So the whole commotion out of it is quite remarkable. And Pilate stands firm and he says, what I've written, I've written. And that's the end of the matter. So you can see then the remarkable nature of this inscription. It's not one to ignore. It's one that God has put in his word. And it was a providence that is remarkable and it's one that we need to consider tonight. And this inscription has made its way into all four Gospels. That in itself is remarkable too because John often doesn't record things that the other Gospels record. And when he does, he's really highlighting something and this inscription he highlights. He very distinctly highlights. So, so it's remarkable. You remember how the Gospels begin, of course. Matthew, Matthew begins with, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Where is he? And then the end of the Gospel, the fourth Gospel, the end of the Gospel has this inscription, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. So it stands out. I will even be as bold to suggest this inscription is God's inspired word. This is God's word. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, it's all true. It's infallible. Pilate wrote it, yes, but it's inspired. The text is written and it's to be read throughout all the human race, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. It's an unchangeable text. What is written is written. It can't be changed. It's like a little Bible. And it was used to convert the thief. Because the thief saw it and he read it. And that little Bible converted him. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, Lord. It's like a Bible. It has saving power. It has converting power. It's unchangeable and inspired and infallible. Even though Pilate penned it, it's God's word. And it's true. Unlike the Bible, it's Christ-centered. Jesus of Nazareth, King of Zion. This is him. And so it's a remarkable inscription. This inscription provides for us three things. It provides, first of all, a testimony that is to be believed. 
And then secondly, it provides a sermon, a practical sermon that is to be heeded. And then thirdly, it provides an example that ought to be followed. First of all then, it is a testimony that is to be believed. It's a testimony to Jesus Christ. It's a testimony to his innocence, and it's a testimony to his dignity, and it's a testimony that he has in the very midst of his sufferings as he hangs burying our sin on the tree. A testimony. A testimony of one who interrogated him closely and examined him deeply. Pilate writes it and he won't change it. Why? Because God is in control. And that's all was happening at Calvary. He was taken by wicked hands and slain, but it was by the determinant counsel of Almighty God. And God is always overruling all that takes place at Calvary. And this inscription is in his plan. And it's a testimony that he wishes to have present when his son dies for our sins. Christ is bearing sin. He's dying for sinners, but God ordains that the death be not viewed as the effects of personal guilt on his part. There is no crime against him. There are no allegations against him. There are no accusations against him. There is only a statement of fact. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And so it ensures that there are many evidences of his innocence and of his uniqueness and dignity present. And this inscription is one of those evidences. You remember how we looked at it? Three times Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He even publicly washed his hands as one having nothing to do with it. And this is his way of declaring Christ's innocence. Now it is an unbeliever writing. He has not received him as his king. That is true. But he's telling us who Christ is. He's telling us where Christ is from. And he's telling us what he is. And it's all true. Now, the question concerning Pilate's testimony is, why did he do this? Why did he do it? Well, he did it because God overruled it and made him do it. That's a short answer. But looking at it from the human aspect of his own heart and his own motives, why did he do it? I think there are only two possible answers. He did it to provoke the Jews to get this reaction, and he didn't didn't really believe it himself. That's a possibility. But I don't think that that's the case. Pilate doesn't go out of his way to provoke the Jews. In fact, he's trying to keep them happy as best he can. And he knows the danger of provoking Jews. It causes a rat in the city, and he doesn't need a rat in the city. So he's not one who goes out of his way intentionally to provoke the Jews. So he is someone who believed it, 
And this placates his conscience. That's what he's doing. He's making himself feel better. Jesus is innocent. He knows he's innocent. He has to crucify him because of fear and because he's under the pressure. But he's trying to wash his hands of the whole matter, clear himself of the guilt. And this is how he does it. He writes this inscription. He's an innocent man. Pilate believes this. He questioned him very definitely about this point. Art thou a king then? He was afraid of Jesus. And he heard he was the son of God and a king. He was afraid. Now we can't go into uh, Pilate's psycho uh, as it's revealed in the narratives. But suffice to say, I think he believed this. He was persuaded of Christ's innocence and dignity. His wife said, have nothing to do with that just man. And this is his way of having nothing to do with it. Writing this inscription to wash his hands of it. But it proves the innocence of Jesus. That's the point. It's a testimony. He's the lamb without spot and blemish. It shows who he is. It's real testimony. It's as real as a veil rending in two. It's as real as the centurion saying, this surely was the Son of God. It's as real as the, dark sun, the sun darkening. It's as real as the earth shaking. It's as real as the rocks rending and the dead rising when he died. All the evidences, it's as real as that. This is Jesus, the King. And so it's a testimony that is to be believed. Do you believe it? Is he your king? Your Lord? The sinless one, your Savior? So it's a testimony to be received. But then secondly, it is also a sermon that is to be heeded. It is a practical sermon. It actually is proclaiming and showing us the folly of the human soul. The folly of the human heart. I'm talking about Pilate now. It shows us the folly of rejecting Christ and handing over Christ against the light and knowledge that you have. Pilate wrote this. Pilate three times said he's a faultless man. Pilate washed his hands of the whole matter to be clear of it. He believed something about Jesus was unique. Yet he crucified him. He wrote this. He testified this. He gave this testimony. He gave this testimony. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And yet he nailed him to the tree. What does that tell you about the human heart? Sins against light and sins against knowledge. It doesn't matter the light. It doesn't matter who Jesus is. I'll still crucify him. I'll still sin against him. I'll still do wrong. And so you see, Pilate has light and Pilate has knowledge. And Jesus has talked to him about the truth. And he has some inkling of who he is. 
and yet he writes this confession, and yet he puts Jesus to an open shame. Will I crucify your king, he said, in fear of the Jews? He does that. Do you see the folly? Do you see what that inscription is saying? A testimony given and yet sinning and crucifying Christ. And so he rejected Jesus, even though he confessed him. And how many men are like that today? They confess Jesus in a sense. Yes, he's the Son of God. Yes, he's come into the world to save sinners. And they know their Bible. And they can write things like this about Jesus. They can write the truth. They can state it clearly. They even believe it. And they say he's a king. He's the son of God. He's the savior. But they fear men. And they love sin. And they crucify Jesus Christ. And put him to an open shame. No matter what they testify. No matter what they say. And no matter what they write. So they can believe all they like about Jesus. And it could be true. But they reject him by their actions and by their life and by their deeds. How many men are like Pilate today? They reject and refuse and deliver up Christ because of the fear of man or because of the love of their position and they don't want to lose it or because of the love of sin or whatever. The folly of the human soul. But it's also saying something else about Pilate's folly. Because the folly of his human soul is seen also in his attempt to cast the blame of his sin on others. That's really what he's trying to do here. You can see it very clearly what Pilate's doing. He wants to make this a Jewish sin. He wants to make this as if the Jews crucified him. That's why he washed his hands. I have nothing to do with the blood of this just man. See you to it. He wants to make it blamed on the Jews. You've done it. And so he writes, this inscription is writing, is doing the very same thing as the hand washing. You're crucifying your king. You're doing it. And so he's passing the blame onto others. He's trying to ease his conscience. He's trying to make this matter not his fault. And that's the folly of the human heart. Mankind is always blaming others for his sin. Is that not how it started? What did Adam say? Eve, Eve, give me the fruit and you give me Eve. We fell because of Adam, what Adam did. We didn't fall because of what Eve did. It was Adam plunged us into depravity, not our mother. It was Adam did it. And he did do it. But he he blamed Eve. I know Eve had a hand in it and all the rest. But he still did it. And it's the guilt of his sin that is imputed to his seed. You can't blame others for your sin. There are no excuses for the sins that we commit. 
and there's no writing inscriptions to pass the book on to others that will deal with our sin. It's better, men and women, to honestly see our sins and to honestly acknowledge them and confess them to God and not to excuse them. But when we have a sense of guilt, let us make the wise recourse. Just take them to Jesus Christ. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. And so we must bring our sins to Christ and to the fountain opened up for sin and uncleanness. It comes down to this, men and women, there's no excuse for the rejection of Jesus Christ. You can't pass the blame of your rejection of Christ to others. He's a king. And it's no good just saying he's the king of the Jews. He's a king. And he must be your king. And Pilate's getting it all rid of by just saying he's, he's the king of the Jews. No, he's not just the king of the Jews, Pilate. As you try and duplicate your conscience, he's a king of Zion. And you're crucifying him. You're rejecting him. You're delivering him up no matter what you testify. It's a mighty sermon. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who makes a testimony of who I am shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So don't confess him with your lips and reject him with your life. Human folly. The sermon that it preaches. And then thirdly and lastly, it provides an example at the cross. Though Pilate in this inscription manifests inconsistency, he does, we've seen that. He manifests soul-destroying inconsistency that actually eternally ruined him. And the historians tell us it was a sad end, a suicide's death, and he perished eternally. This was Pilate's time, and he perished. And so while he did that, and it's true, and we can't deny that, we have also to acknowledge, however, that in this inscription, John is very careful to point out something. And he wants Christ's followers to emulate that and to follow that. We're seeing here that there is a display to true believers of something that is commendable and that ought to be Expected. It's not enough to give the testimony. There are two things that are commendable in this action of Pilate's. Two things that are to be emulated by true Christians and followers of Jesus. Two things to be imitated. The first is this business of bearing witness and testimony. 
Jesus spoke to Pilate about bearing witness. Do you remember Pilate said, Are you a king? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. He acknowledges it. He says, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. That's what a king does. That's what a governor does. That's what every Christian should do. I bear witness to the truth. Pilate attempts that. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. It's a feeble attempt, but he does attempt it. He does it. He bears witness to the truth. The the Jews don't like it. It's serious business. This is what the governor is writing. And they recognize the seriousness of it, but Pilate still does it. Christ bears witness to the truth, and this inscription bears witness to the truth. And Christ dies with this true inscription over his head. And he dies for the truth, and he dies in the truth, and Pilate confesses that truth. Pilate had a love of honor more than of Christ, of course, and he didn't carry it the whole way through and release him. But he did publish him as king, and he did it in Hebrew and Latin and Greek. He did all of that. And that's what Christians should do. Testify to him. Confess him. And that's what the Christian church is to do. To confess him and testify of him and to do it throughout the whole world. And to get the word of God that was given in Greek and in Hebrew to translate it into all the languages of the peoples of the earth. So that the Christian testimony shall go out among all nations. There's an example here to emulate. The testimony is to be confessed by the followers of Jesus Christ. And so Pilate does all of that. And cannot we do the same? And so I'm talking about a practical thing. Shouldn't we confess him when we come to the Lord's table? And shouldn't we confess him whenever we stand up for him in an open air? Should we not speak in his favor? How many treat Christ worse than Pilate? True, Pilate delivered him to death. But he spoke for him. He wrote for him. He gave testimony for him. Because he knew Christ deserved it. And how many are those who follow Christ and confess to follow Christ, yet they give no testimony to him? They don't care about the Lord's table. They don't care about all the meetings and all the service and maybe embarrassed even to speak about him. Pilate wasn't embarrassed to write this. He wasn't embarrassed that the Jews come knocking at his door. He wasn't one bit concerned about that. He wrote it. There's something courageous about that. Something commendable about that. And that inscription is an example of the followers of Jesus Christ, what they should be like, bearing courageous testimony when he needs it, when he's blasphemed, when he's ridiculed and attacked, when his truths are maligned, 
There needs to be Christians who will stand up and write the testimony. But then the other thing that stands out that should be emulated by the followers of Jesus Christ is is his steadfastness in this testimony. When Pilate gave this testimony, nothing could be said to him to move it. He had a visit from the priests. No, no, the priests didn't come. It was the chief priests. That's who came. It was the big, the big men, the big knobs, the ones who had far more to do in this Passover day than to be at Pilate's door. But they came. The big knobs came and knocked on his door. We'll get him to change it. And so they said, Pilate, don't write that. But write this. He said, I am the king of the Jews. Not that he is the king of the Jews, but that he said it. That's what, write that, Pilate. Here, we're here. Write it down now. We'll bring it right to the cross ourselves. We'll see that there's a change made in the version. And what does Pilate say? What I've written, I've written. That's steadfastness. That's refusing to move in a determined resolution. And every Christian should be able to speak like Pilate. What I've written, I've written. We have believed. Therefore we've spoken. We won't be changing. What we have spoken, we have spoken. And we won't be going back. We have sworn. And we will perform it. And we won't change it. We're not for going back. What I've written, I've written. It's done. We confess Christ and we continue to do so. Let the chief priests come. Let the world come. Let Satan come. What I've written, I've written. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants Christians to change. That's what the modern versions are. Changes. The word of God being changed. But what God has written is written. And it's not to be changed. Not to be changed by a preacher. Not to be changed by a liberal. The message can't be changed. The Christian message can't be changed. The testimony that's written by God above the Son of God is not to be changed. The Word of God is not to be altered. Brethren and sisters, we're not to alter the Word of God. We're to believe it and obey it. And what is written is written. The unchangeable Word of God. But the Word wants it blurred. The Word wants a new word or two brought in. But the truth is not to be tampered with. Pilate can't change the truth. Seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Don't be going back. Don't be changing. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, the apostle says, without wavering. Don't waver, child of God. 
Don't waver on the truth. Don't waver on the standards. What is written is written. What did Jesus say? Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast. Hold it fast. Don't lose it. Don't dispense with it. Don't tamper with it. And don't change it. Hold it fast. What is written is written. So hold it fast. So a, a sermon, an example, and a testimony. These things we learn from this wonderful inscription. And we're so glad that Jesus Christ had the testimony of it. It was comfort for him. It was comfort for the dying thief. And it's comfort for us down through the ages to know while he looked like he died as a criminal it was not so he died because he is a king our king and he died because he died for our sins our king to make us his citizens in his marvelous kingdom, he died to make us citizens, and he bought us with his blood. That's what this is all about. He is a marvelous king, then. And one day your eyes shall see the king in all his beauty. Let us pray. Lord, bless the word. Write it upon our hearts and glorify continually through us and in us, thy Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.